Well, amen, and thank you. You may be seated. Oh, wait. Great job, guys. Great job. You know the routine by now. By the way, I have decided that if I wanted to fit in here, I need to buy a ball cap with Tejas on it and wear it backwards. Just saying. I've decided what I want for my next Father's Day. My kids have 12 months to disappoint me. This evening, we're going to be asking a question. We're going to be asking the question, what does the Bible say? And what does the Bible say from James chapter 1? So go ahead and turn there in James chapter 1. While we're turning there, I want you to think about something. And I want you to think about, when you think of the word boast, what do you think of? Think of pride. Yeah. Your siblings, oh yeah. What kind, what kind of things do like when you when you think about? Oh man, that was boasting. Like, what was that? What are people boasting in? What are they thinking? Bragging about themselves, right? Just the fact that they exist, or are they bragging or boasting about something more interesting? Just their existence is pretty awesome. They did something interesting, like walk upstairs. Um, anyone get any more interesting than that? Sports, like they know how to spell it. That's super interesting. I I can spell sports. Yeah, yeah, we boast in things, right? Well, tonight we're going to talk about some things that we can boast in, and we're going to see that in James chapter one. Um, let me ask you a different question, though. Have you ever have you ever told someone you just don't understand? You ever said that to like a mom or dad, especially I mean parents. <laughs> You just don't understand. Now, this guy's waiting. What, what have you said? You said, you just don't understand, Mom, Dad. You, what is it? What do they not understand? Oh, you just don't understand math, Mom and Dad. Like, this is new math. Oh. Oh, you don't understand math. Okay, well, that's, that's harsh. But, no. If you were going to tell somebody, you just don't understand, what would you say? You just don't understand you just don't understand video games, guys. Like, ah, get with it. What else? You just don't understand. Hmm? You just don't understand me. Oh, that's interesting. Mom and Dad, you just, you don't understand me. You don't understand what's going on. You don't understand my situation. What else? Oh, you just don't understand how hard work is. That's my favorite thing. Parents are like, yeah, I've never had work before. That's crazy. Yeah. You just don't understand, Mom and Dad, how hard this work is that you've given us, you know. Well, the cool thing is we're going to talk a little bit about boasting. But we're going to talk a little bit about un not understanding. But really what we're going to talk about is that God has given us a command. And he's given this command for all people, for all circumstances. And so you do not get to look at God and say, you don't understand God. Like, this is a great command for other people, God. This is a great command for parents, God. This is a great command for my friends, God. No, this is a command for us, regardless of our circumstances. So we're going to look at this together. Let's look at James, James chapter 1. Now, the adult Sunday school class in Norfolk has been going through James, and, and the theme of James is a faith that works. And so we're going to see a couple of themes as we go through here. But really the main idea that we see in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 18 is this, is that the trials of life are God's tools to refine us and to produce in us Christian maturity. Now, we're not going to cover all of those verses because you guys don't want to be here till midnight, nor do I. It's past my bedtime. But the theme is the trials of life are God's tools to refine us and to produce in us Christian maturity. 
And now you're thinking, like, those are like some big words. Like, let's go figure out what they all mean. But let's start at the beginning, James chapter 1, verse 2. Well, actually, James chapter 1, we see that James is writing to 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Now, this dispersed abroad does not mean that these individuals were looking for a countryside home. It doesn't mean that they were on an RV trip. It doesn't mean that they had subscribed to the remote work philosophy of the day. Okay, these guys were dispersed abroad, and they were in a bunch of different places. And in these places, what were they experiencing? Verse 2, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. They were in a bunch of different places, and they were in crowning and trials. And this was a real thing that was impacting them. But as we see through these things, we said the trials of life are God's tools to refine us. We see that there are five things that James wants to teach us here. We're going to look at three of them really quick, and then we're going to spend time on two of them tonight. The first one is that if we want to think about trials correctly, we have to develop the right attitude toward trials. You see that in verse 2, right? Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. See, a lot of us think that when we are talking to our parents, we're like, parents, you just don't understand. See, it's okay that I'm upset right now because you don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand what's going on with my relationships with my friends at school or at church. You don't understand what just happened at my sports team. You don't understand. God says we consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. We have to have the right attitude toward trials. God says that for you and for me, we need to have joy independent of our circumstances. Number two, he says, we should recognize the good results of trials. Look at this in verse 3. It says, knowing that the testing of your faith, James 1, 3, produces endurance, and that endurance have its perfect results, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. By the way, how many perfect and complete people we have in the house tonight? Come on, any, any lacking in nothings in the house tonight? You guys got it all figured out, right? Yeah couple of you are funny with your little hand wavings, but no, there's no perfect and completes here. I'm not it. You're not it. What does that mean? That means that when we say knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, there is going to be trials in your life. And if you wake up one day and you're surprised by that, you're not recognizing that God is working in you to make you like himself, to make you like his son. So if you wake up tomorrow and you're like, oh, there's a conflict with my sibling, oh, like, my parents didn't predict what I wanted for breakfast today. Like, they forgot to cut the crust off my sandwich. Does anyone eat sandwiches anymore? Like, come on. Like, there's conflicts, there's trials in our life because God is refining us. Every single one of those opportunities is an opportunity for you to get upset at your sibling, to get frustrated with mom and dad, to be selfish and say, why didn't I get what I want? Or it's an opportunity to use that trial to say, how do I act more like Christ in this situation? We should recognize the good results of trials. God puts them in your life, and he puts them in my life, because he wants you and I to be more like Christ. Another thing that he does, one of the insights that we can gain from trials, is that, um, well, let me ask you this question. How many of you woke up this morning, and you're like, I think I know everything I need to know to knock this day out of the park? Like, I got it nailed, bro. I know that math equation, boom, e equals mc squared or whatever that one smart guy with the, like, the big hair and the glasses, you know, wrote on the chalkboard one time. I've seen it on an internet meme, right? Like, no, we don't. That's why it says here that we need to ask God for wisdom to deal with trials. Verse 5 is this, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
but he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Listen, it's for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord because he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know what? Sometimes you and I wake up and we need prayer. We need wisdom. You know what? I'm going to tell you a secret. About an hour ago, right before I hopped in the car to drive here, I had a meeting at work. You know what? Not my favorite meeting all day. There were some things that happened in that meeting. There were some things that were said in that meeting. And you know what? I walked out of that meeting, and I had to ask my wife. I said, I need you to pray for me tonight because I need to go talk to people about this book. And right now, my mind is not here. It's there. I'm frustrated because people said things about me that I didn't think were true. They said things about my team, about my work, about what I've been doing, and I don't know that they're true. And right now, God, I need your wisdom because right now, I don't want to think about what's true. I don't want to think about what's in this book. You and I, we have trials every single day, every single moment. Some of us recently, some of us just a few minutes ago, and we come in here and God says, I need you to sit for just a moment and think about this book, this true word that says, sometimes you and I don't have everything we need for today. And I'm so thankful that there's a God that has said, everything that you need for life and godliness is hiding right here. If you want to know how to walk tomorrow in a way that pleases God, it's right here. We ask God for wisdom to deal with trials. You know, some of you have all kinds of fun decisions. Some of you are older. You're getting ready for college. Maybe you got college decisions. Maybe some of you have recognized that there are members of the opposite sex that exist on this planet, and you have, like, relationship decisions. Maybe you've got parenting decisions. You've got math equation decisions. You've got, you know team sports decisions. You've got a whole lot of decisions going on, and you need God's wisdom to know how to deal with each and every single one of those in a way that would please Him and honor Him. And that brings us all the way to verse 9, because this is where we're going to camp out for just a little bit. Verses 9 through 12, and we see really our, our first major point today is glory in your spiritual position. Boast in your spiritual position. That's what I'll, the first thing I want us to think about. And this is in verse 9. Let's read together. James 1, 9 says this, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind, and it withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Verse 12, it says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, verse 9 starts with this conjunction, this word, but, B-U-T, one T. I got in trouble one time because I, you know, I was like, hey, does anyone know what that word means? And it was really confusing because I didn't spell it before I asked the question. But, like, it's just a conjunction, and it's connecting to the thing that came before. Right? So let's read verse 8 again, because let's remind ourselves what we're connecting to. And it ends this way, verse 8 ends this way, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So that's how we stop verse 8. And then we roll into verse 9, and James is presenting a contrast for us. Because, see, to be double-minded is to be thinking, hey, you know, have you ever tried to like, be good at sports? And you're like, I'm going to wake up today. I'm going to like exercise a lot. Tomorrow, not so much. Tomorrow, like, yeah, a lot. Lift weights. And then tomorrow, not so much. Right? Like, how well would you do if every day you woke up and you're like, I don't know if I like math today. I don't know if I like sports today. Right? A double-minded man is this way. 
But when we get to verse 9, we're going to see that James is going to remind us in God's word that we need to be single-minded. We need to be single-minded in the way that we focus on God and the way that we glory in Him, even in the midst of changing circumstances or different circumstances. So verse 8, there is this double-mindedness, there's this unstableness, there's this doubting person. And then when we get to verse 9, James says, no, you don't need to be double-minded. You don't need to be unstable. You don't need to be doubting. You need to be confident. You need to be boasting. You need to be secure. We need to glory in our spiritual position. That's what that says in verse 9. We glory in his high position, that brother of humble circumstances. So let me think about, so think about this for just a moment. Help me out here. When you are suffering with trials, what is, what is your boast in? What is your confidence in? You're trying to figure out how do I get out of this trial? What are you putting your confidence in when trials assault you? Yourself. Ooh, can we go one layer deeper? Yeah, we usually put our, like, we don't need other people. We got this all figured out. We don't need our parents. We don't need God. I'm going to put my boast in myself. I'm going to just grit it out. I'm going to figure out how to get out of this situation. What else? What do we put our confidence in? Objects. Any particular objects? Okay. All right. Those are some deep thoughts there. We put our put our confidence in objects. Like that life vest. That's gonna work. I'm gonna trust that it's gonna work every time. Right? We we want it to work every time. We don't want it to work like ninety-eight percent of the time. What if we're in that two percent bucket? That's very sad. Someone else had a hand over here. What do you put our confidence in? That guy? You put your confidence in him, or did he raise his hand? Okay, all right, go ahead. People. Any particular people like him? Okay, all right, very good. All right, who else? What else do we put our confidence in? Put our confidence in money, yes. You know, I have a father, and I love him to death, and he's a very godly man, but he told me one time, he says, son, sometimes you just have to throw money at problems. And I will say, sometimes I feel like that, right? Right now, I've got, like, broken tools in my garage that I spent, like, an hour and a half trying to fix today, and then I decided, I think I just need to buy a new one because I'm not smart enough to fix this thing. Right? But we put our confidence in those things. We put our confidence in money. We put our confidence in people. We put our confidence in ourselves, in our skills. No one's bold enough to say this, but some of you are putting your confidence in your looks. You're putting your confidence in your personality. You think you're funny. You might be. You're probably wrong, but you might be, right? And, and, and like, that's how you're going to gain friends. That's how you're going to, like, catch the eye of someone of the opposite sex, right? Is you're going to be suave. You're going to be cool. Go, go look up suave when you get home. It's a real word, I promise. It's not just a brand of, like, uh, like shampoo or something. I can't remember. Anyway, right? Like, we put our confidence in all of those silly things, right? You know, Pastor Dusty has said, what happens when those things get threatened? What if we put our confidence in our popularity, and then the next time that we walk into youth group, there's a new person there, and our friends are talking to them instead of us? What if we put our confidence in our sports ability and then we walk on the sports field and there's a new guy or gal from out of town and they're faster than you are. They run faster, they jump higher, PF flyers. Like, right, like, like, what do you do with that? Do you go up and you like thank them for being there? Do you encourage them? Do you go to them like, I'm so glad you're on the team. No, what happens in our selfish hearts, what happens? We, we feel threatened, right? We feel like our confidence is threatened because we have our confidence in these human things let me tell you something. The 
there is one thing that you can put your confidence in, and it will never be threatened. James says we're supposed to boast. We're supposed to put our glory in Jesus Christ. Your friends are going to disappoint you at times. Your parents are going to disappoint you at times. Your riches are going to fade at times. That new car is going to get a scratch on it at times. Or maybe your scooter or your little hover wheel or whatever those things are. Those kids have these days, right? Like, it's, it's not going to have that new hover wheel smell anymore, right? And Jesus Christ is never going to be threatened if you put your boast and confidence in Him. Jeremiah 9 says this. He says, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, says the Lord. That is what the Lord delights in. And because he is God, he will ensure them. All of those words boast, by the way, that we saw in Jeremiah 9. Look at James 1, 9. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Same word. It's the same word there. The brother of humble circumstances is to glory in. He's to put confidence in. You don't get to boast in your wisdom, your might, your riches, your parents' riches, your clothes, the clothes your parents bought you, your ability to skip, hop, jump, play video games, any of those things. Regardless of your socioeconomic state, you look that one up when you get home, it's like, how much money you got, bro? Regardless of your financial state, how much pennies are in your piggy bank, your circumstances, your friends, those things are all fading. We boast in Jesus Christ. We exalt in Jesus Christ. We glory in Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? All right, now we're going to get, you thought I was done with big words. I got even more big words. Here we go. To glory in our spiritual position is to recognize two things. First off, it's to recognize that our spiritual position is transcendent. All right, show of hands. Who can define transcendent for me? Transcending. Uh, alternate form of word, not the right answer. Definition, please. What's that? Leaving? Okay, by the way, we're actually going to get to transient, but you cheated on the next point. So you, we're going to come back to you. Okay. Transcendent. All right, I'll give you, a, like, the easy definition here. Higher than anything else you can imagine. Our spiritual position is transcendent. It's on a, like, from a, if you're like a mathematician or a geometry person, you would say it's on a different plane. It's on a different plane. So when he says the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, this brother of humble circumstances is one who is lowly. He is one who is a poor or low or undistinguished or of no account, no rank or no worth. That kind of person is to glory in his transcendent spiritual position in Jesus Christ. Because what he has in Jesus Christ is so much more than this world has to offer. It's so much more than his lowly state, than your lowly state. By the way, some of you may, might have come in here tonight. You might have walked in this door. And maybe you thought to yourself, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you thought to yourself, I'm feeling of little worth tonight. I'm feeling of no worth tonight. I don't think my friends are noticing me like I wanted them to. I had a fight with my mom or dad earlier. I'm feeling low. 
who values me? I'm not the star of my team anymore. I'm not the teacher's pet anymore. It's easy to think of ourselves as low worth sometimes because we get selfish and we get inward focused. You know what God calls you to do in that situation? He calls you to glory in Christ because to the value that he provides for you is transcendent. It is more high and more worthy than anything that this world has to offer. And if you think that you have no worth, then you do not understand the God who loves you, who said, I have died for you, I have sent my son for you, and I have redeemed you. Listen to this, James chapter 2, verse 5. If you have your Bibles, you want to flip over a page, or uh, two, or however many pages you've got to flip to get there. James 2, 5 says this. It says, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? By the way, that's what transcendent means. It means that God has taken people who are poor and he has made them heirs of an eternal heavenly kingdom. I haven't been there, but everything I know from this book tells me that it's pretty sweet. It's pretty awesome. It's transcendent. It beats out the trials of this earthly life. We are heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. What an amazing thing that our God has done for us. We have a transcendent position in Jesus Christ. It says we're supposed to glory in our high position. By the way, for those that are wondering, this high position is not a reference to height. Every research I've done has told me that I am the American male adult average at 5 foot 10 inches tall. Some of you are taller than me. Congratulations, men. You are above average. Some of you are shorter than me. You have time to fix that. I do not. I'm done. This is as good as it gets. I just have to buy taller shoes. Right? But when he says glory in your high position, he's not talking about how tall you are. He's talking about being exalted. He's talking about a heavenly position. Listen to this. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16 through 18. He says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. By the way, you're not just heirs of the kingdom. You are fellow heirs with Christ. Think about that for a moment. When you're thinking that for somehow you are of low worth, that is not the way that God views those who have put their faith and trust in Him. He says fellow heirs with Christ. But listen to this. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Paul recognized what James did, which is that there is suffering in this life. But then he goes on to say this in verse 18. Listen closely, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do you understand what that means? He's like, these sufferings are nothing compared to the glory. That's transcendent, by the way. We can't even compare the two. They're not on the same plane. So if you're thinking that you're here today and you're this brother of humble circumstances, your, your circumstances aren't what you want them to be. From the financial standpoint or from any other standpoint, he has said that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that we have in Jesus Christ. So we should glory in our spiritual position. Now, I'm going to pause for just a moment. You guys have been doing a great job listening, and most of you are thinking, well, that sounds great. I think we should totally do that. We should glory in our high position. Now, the question that I have for you 
Because how do we do that? What does that look like? Tomorrow, this evening, what does it mean to glory in our high position in Jesus Christ? Someone have an example for us? Good question. What do you got? Yeah. Yeah, of all the things that we like to talk about with our friends, if Jesus Christ is the most important thing, then we should share it with other people. That's one of the ways that we glory in our spiritual position in Christ is we tell other people about it. Awesome. What else? How else do we do that? What's that? To pray and glorify Him. We remember that He is God and not us, and so we pray to Him and we glorify Him. Great. Anything else? By the way, you guys are awesome at like raising your hand about this high. Really hard to see. Let's just throw it up there. We're all wearing deodorant signs. Anyone else? How do we glory in our high position in Christ? All right, that guy's laughing because he did not wear his deodorant, so his arm is not going up. No hand raising over there. Okay. We glory in our high position by, by recognizing that when there are challenges in our day, that we put our eyes and trust on Jesus Christ. Put our eyes and trust in Jesus Christ. Says the brother of humble circumstances to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass over. How many of you are really, like, fascinated by English and grammar? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone want to be an English? Oh, we have an adult in the back. That doesn't count. Everyone else is shaking their head. Okay, cool. All right, we've got, we've got one here. All right, here we go. We're going to do, do something that I usually try not to get too technical, but I want to get technical for just a moment because we've got to find out some really important things. First off, Everyone look at their Bibles because you need to follow along. James chapter 1, verse 9. We're trying to find the verb here. Can anyone find the verb in James 1, 9? I said it a lot. Yes, sir, blue shirt. Boast. Your, does yours say boast? Mine says glory. Yeah, boast. Boast. Glory. Now, cool. Now, quick thing, real quick. That is a verb, and in the Greek... New Testament. Remember, it's translated from Greek to English. That is the very first word in verse 9. So when you get from verse 8, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, boast! Glory! By the way, and they do that because they want to put emphasis on it. And if you can't hear right now, I apologize for that. But th- So the word starts with that verb. Now, here's something else. And I'm going to show you. So, alright, I need you to look at my Bible for me. Okay, I want you to look at verse 10. And do you see this word, glory? So we have glory in verse 9 and verse 10. What is special about that word? Can you tell? It's italicized. Oh, man, she nailed it. You know what that means? That means that the translator said, Ben only understands English grammar, not Greek grammar. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to put that word there. But that word actually isn't there because this is all one sentence. And the sentence starts in verse 9 with the word boast, glory, put confidence in, and it's not repeated in verse 10. So we've got one verb. It's at the beginning of verse 9. Is everyone following with me? Okay. All right. Verse 9. Someone find for me the first noun. Say it out loud. Hmm? Okay. He said he was kidding. All right, that's not the noun. All right. Anyone else? I saw a hand. Hand. Brother. All right, it's the word brother. And you know what the word brother means? It means fellow believer in Jesus Christ. So we've got a verb and we've got a noun. All right. We're making progress here. Now, I want to show you something else. Look at verse 9 again. But the brother of humble circumstances. Now, Humble circumstances, I'm going to clue you in because I don't have enough time. It's an adjective. So, 
James is saying, glories in fellow believer, even if you are of low circumstances. Now, I'm going to show you something that I did not know until about a month ago. Verse 10, and the rich man. Now, once again, the English translator tried to help us out, but I'm going to tell you a secret. The phrase rich man is an adjective. It's not a noun. So what does that mean? You're thinking, Ben, this is a really long English lesson. I'll tell you what it means. It means this. It means that when James says, glories in fellow brother in Jesus Christ of humble circumstances and glories in fellow brother in Jesus Christ of rich circumstances, it doesn't matter whether you are on this end of the spectrum or you're on that end of the spectrum. He says you both have the same thing, glory in Jesus Christ. So remember all the way at the beginning, he said, hey, you know what? Sometimes you're going to tell mom and dad, you guys don't understand. You can tell God, hey, you know what? You don't understand. It's hard being poor. It's hard being rich. It's hard having too many friends. It's hard having not enough friends. You know what he's going to say to you? And what James says to us is glory then in Jesus Christ. Whether you are a brother of humble circumstances or a brother of rich circumstances, we have the same command from James, and that is to glory in Jesus Christ. Boast then in Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Riches are uncertain. We don't get to boast in those things, but rather on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. See, it's easy to put our confidence in our friends when we have a lot of them. It's easy to put our confidence in our sports skills when we're the top of the pack. It's easy to put our confidence in our money when our wallet's not empty or or wherever it is, Um, right? God says, whatever your circumstances are in, we put our boast and trust in Jesus Christ because our spiritual position is transcendent. Now we're going to go all the way back to that gentleman in the back because if our spiritual position is transcendent, that means that our earthly position is Transient. Look at this guy. Give him a hand. Our earthly position is transient. It's fleeting. Look at this. Verses 10. James 1.10. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass he will pass away. Verse 11. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and it withers the grass and its flower falls off. And the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Do you see this earthly position is transient? The whether your whatever your socioeconomic state is, whatever your financial state is, when, when James says whether you're the brother of humble circumstances or rich circumstances, both of those will fade away. But Jesus Christ and our hope in him is eternal. The rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away just like the poor man. Now remember, we're talking about things that are transient and we're talking about things that are transcendent. And because I'm an engineer and I'm a visual person, let me, let me explain it to you one more time. I'm going to use a little bit of a height example here because this is how this works. There is a brother of humble circumstances. And there is a brother of rich circumstances. And this is the delta in the importance of the things that they have going on. And way up here, there is our spiritual position in Jesus Christ, right? Way up here, 
These things, the brother, when we glory in Jesus Christ, we are putting our faith and trust in something that is so much higher and greater and more important than all of these things down here. We are putting our faith and trust in a transcendent God. see, the earthly state of our rich circumstances are going to fade away just like the earthly state of our humble circumstances. Matthew 24 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 1 Peter 1.23 says, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Did you hear that word enduring, by the way? In case you're wondering, antonym of the word transient. Uh, no, I just lost you all again. That means like the opposite. Transient things are fleeting, enduring things last forever. This book says that it is enduring. If you're looking for something that is enduring, this is it. This is it right here. Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Because everything in my life seems fleeting. Everything seems passing. My sports team's not going the way I want it to. My relationships and friendships aren't going the way I wanted to. My parents made me move. I'm in a new house. I'm in a new place. I'm in a new neighborhood. I'm in a new school. Like all of these things, everything seems fleeting. And if you are here today and you think that everything in your life is fleeting, then you need to stop and you need to pray and you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in His Word because He says it is enduring forever. The Word of the Lord endures forever. 1 Peter 1.25 Now, see, it's easy to get this false sense of security and this, this conceitedness and this hope, just like this rich man did, right? Listen to the, some of the things that he puts his faith and trust in. In verse 11, it says, And its flower falls off. Well, it starts off in verse 11, For the sun rises with a scorching wind. The same sun that Psalm 19 says, Nothing is hidden from its heat. That sun is the thing that rises. He says, whether you're rich or poor, these circumstances happen to all of us. But listen to what he says here. He says, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. You see, we don't get to put our faith and trust in our appearance because those things are fading too, right? Like you guys probably don't know this, but when you get older, you get age spots. I got some of those. You get crow's feet. And, and you even get receding hairlines. Now, here's the cool thing. is I'm one of four brothers... And, and recently, we took a picture. My father, who's older than me, for obvious reasons, and my three brothers. One of them's older than me, two of them are younger than me. I just want you to know that there's a thing called a receding hairline. Does anybody know what a receding hairline is? This guy does. I don't, I'm not even going to say why. All right, all right, right here, receding hairline, define it for me. You know what it is? It's like when you kinda, your hair kind of starts stops growing here. Yeah, have you seen that? Yeah, going bald. Let's just call it going bald. All right. So a few years ago, we were trying to decide how vain and conceited we were. So me and my three brothers and that guy, we took a picture. And if you can see, you can see that's just the top of our heads there. And see, I think the reason why my receding hairline is not as far back as my brother's is because I'm just lazy. Like, like my receding hairline, I would love to recede, but like that sounds hard today, right? By the way, that's me right there. Look at that. Top of that head. That's great. That guy, well, he's my brother too. Yeah. Right? But we put our confidence in silly things like the beauty of our appearance. And those things fade over time, just like my receding hairline and Mr. <coughs> Seth's receding hairline. First Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says this. He says, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. 
preserved in heaven for you. If you are looking for something that's not going to fade away, it is found in Jesus Christ. So if our earthly position is transient and our heavenly spiritual position is secure, reserved in heaven for us, then lastly, we need to recognize that we need to see that because we live within an eternal perspective. So our spiritual position in Christ is also an eternal. Look at verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. By the way, remember back in verse 8, we talked about that double-minded man. Is it easy to persevere when you're being double-minded? I've tried to persevere in dieting. And I tell you what, when I wake up and I'm like, you know what? I think today I'm not dieting. doesn't go so well. Right? I've tried to persevere in exercising. You can look at me and see how well that's going. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. We have to be single-minded on Christ, right? Not double-minded. We need to be single-minded. That's why in Hebrews it says that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You endure hard things because um, uh, Christ endured the cross, despising the shame. What He knew what He was doing. He knew that He was fulfilling the will of God. And for you and I, when we have a single-minded focus on God's Word, then we can endure and walk in obedience to Him. By the word, this word persevering in verse 12, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, is the same, very similar word that we see in verse 3 when it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So you see, that all throughout this chapter, James is reminding us that it is that testing of our faith, that perseverance that is producing endurance in us. Now listen to this in verse 12. It says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now it's very important here that we understand that it is not because of his perseverance that he is approved. His perseverance shows us that he is approved. Just like in verse 3 when it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, it's that testing that proves that you are in Christ. I'll give you a quick example of this. Has anyone ever heard of something called social media? Anyone ever been there? I've heard it's a dark place. Don't go there. Don't go there. But anyway, let's say for a moment that you found me on social media. And I was hiding, but you found me. And on my social media profile it said this. It said, world-class athlete, professional runner, fastest man west of the Mississippi. In case you're wondering, Mississippi is a state, but it's also a river. And I'm talking about the river this time, west of the Mississippi. Now, how would you know if that was true? Like, there's a lot of ways. But I think the easiest way is that me and you and two of our biggest fans, or any two people that we could just drag, we would drag them outside, we would stand at one end, they would stand at the other end, and one of them would yell, go. Now, in this moment, something crucial would happen. You would start running, and I would do this. Now, you would think that I was faking a leg injury, but I would not be faking. It would be a real leg injury, right? I'd be like, and you would know in that moment that I was not a runner, right? Because that race wasn't going to make me a runner one way or the other. It was going to prove whether I was a runner or not. And so when James says, blessed is a man who perseveres in a trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Those trials that God puts in front of us proves whether we are genuinely His or not. 
When we are under trials and we persevere, it is God reminding us that it is His Spirit in us helping us to walk in a way that pleases and honors Him. How amazing is that? That God is in you. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says this, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Verse 7 says, So that the proof of your faith, right? Trials prove our faith. Because it says, Being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember earlier we talked about that when you have these trials, there's a couple things we can do with them. When we have conflict, there's a couple things we can do. We can act selfishly. We can get what we want. We can complain. We can grumble. We can react wrongly to our siblings. We can react wrongly to our parents. We can do a bunch of things. But what if this? What if in the midst of that conflict, what if in the midst of that trial, what if in the midst of that challenge, that the faith that you have put in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God living in your heart enables you to, in the midst of trials, persevere and walk in a way that honors and pleases God? You respond to that situation in a way that honors Him. You speak words that please Him. You know what that does in that moment? That proves that what God is doing in you. That is the proof of your faith. What a joy that is when brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, when we're assaulted by trials and God, because of our faith and trust in Him, through His Spirit, enables us, through His strength, to walk in obedience in the middle of trials. Because here's the deal. There are going to be trials, and verse 2 says we're going to need to have joy. There's going to be trials, and verse 3 and 4 says we need to recognize that those are to refine us and to make us more like Christ. There are going to be trials, and James 1, 5 through 8 says we're going to need to be wisdom from God and to be focused on Him in a single-minded way, trusting in Him through faith. There's going to be trials, and they're going to challenge us through our circumstances. There are going to be circumstances that we don't want. Sometimes we're going to be the brother of humble circumstances. Sometimes we're going to be the brother of rich circumstances. And each of those things, we are going to be distracted from putting our faith and trust in Christ. But it is through those trials that we cast those things aside and we glory in Jesus Christ. We glory in our spiritual position in Him. You know, there's going to be trials. But the good thing is that God's Word declares they are going to be temporary and transient. Our hope of life in Jesus Christ is eternal. Verse 12 starts with this word, blessed is a man. Blessed. By the way, if you are going through trials for the sake of Jesus Christ, God says you are blessed because it is proving to the world that Christ is in you every time you are obedient in the middle of trials. How awesome is that? You are blessed. Do not spurn them, but use them as an opportunity to live a life for your Savior. There's going to be a couple of questions in your small group, but I'm going to end with this thought. One of the ways that I would challenge each of you this week is to think about one area of your life in which you're putting your confidence that isn't Jesus Christ. What are you putting your confidence in? I challenge you, share it with a friend. Share it with a youth leader. Share it with a mom and dad, maybe a sibling. Say, pray for me that I would put my confidence in Christ more than my abilities. I would put my confidence in Christ more than my circumstances. I would put my confidence in Christ and I would boast in Him because Jeremiah says, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands 
and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. Don't be the doubter. Don't be the double-minded man. Boast in Jesus Christ this week in his living and enduring word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have told us that for those that are in Christ, for those that are persevering for the sake of the gospel, those that have their mind and heart fixed on you and in the glory that is to be found in Jesus Christ, Father, that they are blessed. I pray for the uh, young men and young women in this room that they might find in you a boasting that is confident, that is sure, that is secure. You have declared in your word you will never leave them nor forsake them for those that have put their faith and trust in you. Father, you are good, you are faithful, and we love you. Father, we just pray that we would be honored here tonight, and if there is a person in this room who does not know what it means to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I ask, pray that they would reach out to someone tonight, to reach out to a youth leader, to a friend, to a parent, to a sibling, and say, tell me more about Jesus. I want to put my faith and trust in Him forever. I want to be an heir of the kingdom, which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.